You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Where is he who was born? The Magi asked about the baby born to die. And as they chased the star across the sky, the gift they bore told a story. A story of a savior and a sacrifice. Jesus knew this was the plan to make a holy nation because before the creation of the world, he invented Christmas. He knew his place was sorrow, sighing, bleeding, and dying. He would be sealed in a stone-cold tomb. Not only did he know, he told us in prophecy. The prophets heard it audibly, knowing they were possibly the only ones to believe. Yet they told us consistently and honestly the plan of God's sovereignty to come to us bodily. They told us, but we didn't listen. He himself bore our sins on the cross, that we might live for him and the rest is lost. By his wounds you have been healed, and now your future in him is sealed. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter to buy you back, son and daughter. And as a sheep, before its shears is silent, he closed his mouth to the shouting of the violent. Our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, has for us been sacrificed. He swallowed up death forever, that whoever believes in him will live. Jesus knew the gift of myrrh was a gift for you. Its bitter perfume took the doom of death and breathed his life from the womb through the tomb. Can you smell the scent as Mary pours it on his head? The gift of myrrh tells a story. So what has it been in your family when someone is ill in your home? What is the magic potion? What is the one medication or ointment or whatever that you always pull out because it is the one that works? For my family, when I was growing up, it was Vicks. I was amazed last night how many people told me afterwards they had some of the same experiences. Back in those days, a long time ago, I guess, um, my grandmother, if she sensed that you were getting sick, she would say, go home and grease your leaders. Now, it wasn't until years later I actually looked that up to figure out what it meant. This was the grease, and the leaders, it's an old King James word, that means the tendons and muscles in your neck. So you'd go home and you'd put the Vicks all over your neck and then you'd wrap a towel around it and you'd be all better. And the thing was, Vicks works for anything. 
I mean, you could put it on your head for a headache, on your throat for throat, in your nostrils, which you're not supposed to do if you read the instructions, but in your nostrils for bronchitis, on the bottom of your feet, depending on what it is you might have. I mean, it was the cure-all. You could walk into my house when I was a kid and take one whiff and go, someone's sick. Because you could smell the Vicks. And then you'd walk around the house and it'd be on the end table, it'd be on the, it'd be on the nightstands, it'd be everywhere because this was the cure. This was the magic potion. Well, I don't know what it was in your home, but let me tell you what it was in Jesus' day. It was called myrrh. It had a very unique fragrance. It was considered a cure-all that could basically heal anything, and then it was actually moved to something even more, I guess, sad, and that is because of its wonderful fragrance, it was used to kind of anoint dead bodies. We'll talk about why that was in just a moment, but today we're coming to our third in the gifts, the fourth in our series on the wise men, the magi, we're calling it Giving Christmas. And the third gift is the gift of myrrh. It's something that most of us don't use anymore, we don't have access to, we don't ever think of it or see it. But in Jesus' day, it was a very important lotion and ointment. And we're going to see why today and why the magi might have brought that gift along. So if you have your Bibles and your sermon notes, would you take them for me and uh, follow along? We're in Matthew chapter 2, the famous story of the Magi, and we're looking specifically today at the gift of myrrh. As you're doing that, there's just one thing I want to share with you in the way of announcement, and that is this week, as you know, is Saturday is Christmas Eve day, and so we will have three Christmas Eve services. We've done these same times now for quite a few years, and so we'll have 2.30 4 o'clock and 5.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve day in all three locations, Worship Center, the Commons, and the FLC. There'll be room, mostly, uh, in, all, in, in, those, in one of those three locations at least. As you know, probably if you've been here a while, the, F, the Worship Center fills up very quickly, uh, so you want to be early. Otherwise, there should be space in all three of those hours. We're hoping so. Uh, on Christmas Day, as I've already told you, we have no services here on our campus, but there will be an online service. And you can choose the time that works best for your family. Maybe you want to get up and open your gifts and have your breakfast and then join us in worship, but we'll give you those times. But you can pick the time that works best for your family and you can worship a shorter service, but one that I think is important for us to take the time on Christmas Day to worship. And then the following weekend is New Year's weekend, and so we'll have regular services Saturday night at 6, before your parties, New Year's Eve parties maybe, you could come. And then Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11, we'll have regular worship services. And that day, by the way, we'll finish our series on the Magi, because that story doesn't end where we often end it at Christmas, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Okay, let's dig in. There are two lessons in this series that I've been saying to you each week. Number one is that the first Christmas was just about giving. It was... The angels giving their worship and giving the announcement from the heavens, and it was the shepherds 
running into town to give their worship to Christ and get, to give the good news to other people that lived in Bethlehem. It was the wise men coming and bringing their worship and then three specific gifts that we're studying. But it's all predicated on one gift. Had that gift not been given, those other gifts would not have been either. And that gift was the gift that God gave in his son, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So because of that gift, Christmas has always been or should always be about giving. Secondly, our Christmas can be much more meaningful when we change the focus from receiving to giving. And I've encouraged you this year, and many of you told me you've been practicing this at home. Instead of saying, what do you want for Christmas? You can say that, but also add to it. And what do you want to give for Christmas? Because giving and receiving. They're both okay, but we want to focus more on giving. Now, over the last few weeks, we've studied a few things that I'm going to remind you of, so let me just bring you up to speed. Number one, God set the standard for giving, and the Bible says we're to be like him in every way possible. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, obviously, we can't be perfect like he is, but we are supposed to be as close to him as we can be. He is a giving God. We are to be giving people. Number two, the Magi visited Jesus sometime after Jesus' birth. We don't know when, but I can prove to you, I think, biblically, that it was more than 40 days later, and it was less than two years later. So somewhere between 40 days and two years is when uh, the Magi came to visit Jesus. They brought with them three gifts, gold, which is a picture of finances, Myrrh, a picture of the idea of faith. They were giving a faith gift. And uh, frankincense, and then myrrh is the gift that was given for the future that we'll talk about today. Quickly, the gold was a gift for a king. That's always a king's gift. But in this case, it was very practical, if you remember, because they gave the gift, and apparently that very night, according to Scripture, an angel wakes up. Joseph and says, take your family to Egypt. And now we know they lived there several years and the gold helped provide for them. This is, gold is a reminder that we need to be generous people. And so uh, I encourage you to be extra generous this year. Number, number two, we learned about frankincense. And frankincense was the gift that shows Christ as priest or God. You see, frankincense is only burned in the temple to God by a priest. So by giving frankincense to a kid, what are you thinking unless he is priest and or God? And as I showed you, I think he's both. In fact, I want to show you a verse we looked at last week, one of my favorites from Zechariah chapter 6. Tell him this is what the sovereign Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. Now, the branch is the name of Jesus in the Old Testament. He's never called Jesus in the Old Testament. He has always been always existed, but in the Old Testament, he has other names. He's called the branch, and that's why, as I've told you before, we named the building next door, which was the former synagogue, we named it the branch. And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord. He will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be a priest on his throne. So in other words, this is a picture of a person who will be born, who will be king on his throne, who will be priest, and because he's clothed with majesty, he will be God. 
So how can that be? Well, we meet him in Matthew chapter 2. His name is Jesus. Now, what about myrrh? We don't know much about myrrh, so let me tell you a little bit about it. Just some quick thoughts. Number one, for several thousand years, multiple thousand years, myrrh has been used by many cultures. In the Far East, in the Middle East, it was used by many cultures as an expensive liquid or lotion. By the way, it comes from a tree resin, so kind of like a sap. So if you think of maple syrup kind of thing, only much more difficult to harvest. And so that's why it was so expensive. Derived from a tree resin, by the way, so is frankincense. And so a very costly ointment. Number two, uh, before I go on, I just want to show you how far this goes back. First book of the Bible, Genesis 27. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh. This is the time of Jacob and Joseph several thousand years before Christ. Book of Exodus, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. That's very, very costly. Secondly, myrrh has often been used as a beauty treatment. It's supposedly really good for the skin. Now, I don't know if it's still used that way today. I guess it is still found in some of our cosmetics, and some of you would know way more about that than I do. But it was a, a, a very good treatment for skin, and it also smelled good, so it was kind of a, a double blessing, even though it was costly. Uh, for instance, let me show you the story of Esther. Esther was, if you remember, one of the women in the beauty pageant who would be chosen as the next queen, and she was the one chosen, but let me show you what happened to these ladies. Before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, he was the king of Persia at the time, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with the oil of myrrh. And you did that first because it would heal and beautify the skin, and then the perfumes and cosmetics would come on top of that. In the book of the Song of Songs and the book of Proverbs, uh, we have Solomon talking about his love of his life, a woman by the name of Shulamith, and he says, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh in the Song of Songs. So it was a, a very good smelling fragrance. Thirdly, myrrh has also been used for its healing properties. And people began to use myrrh and they realized that like Vicks VapoRub, it cured everything. Only I think maybe it did. I don't know if this does or not. But I think myrrh was really valuable for that and apparently really worked because there's many, many evidences, many sources referring to myrrh and its healing properties. In fact, in the Bible, Jesus is on the cross, then they crucified him, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. Now you see, the Romans were extremely harsh people, and they, they provided the most painful death possible, but what is ironic to me is in the midst of that, they offer something that supposedly deadens pain. And why they would even do that just doesn't make any sense. But this is a substance used for the deadening of pain. Now, with all its good properties and good qualities, myrrh has also become associated with death. We have the same today. A couple weeks ago, I walked into the lobby of our church on a Friday, and there were beautiful flowers sitting over there on the welcome desk. And I walked over to look at them, but as I looked at them, they made me sad. You see, flowers smell good, they look beautiful, but there's certain settings, aren't there, where 
that make you sad. And these, of course, were arranged. You could tell just by the arrangement that they were for a funeral. And so we use those flowers at a funeral, but it kind of makes us sad in that context. And that's myrrh. Myrrh began to be used. You may know this, but the Israeli people, even to this day, do not embalm someone when they die. Instead of embalming, embalming, they have even in Jesus' day, and up to some extent, depending on which group, uh, to this day, they'll still take myrrh and rub it on the skin. And it's two purposes. Number one is so that everybody touches the body of their loved one. It's a way of saying goodbye. But also the myrrh is a way to help that body smell good, at least for the 24 hours until it's buried. And so it has become associated with death. I'm going to show you that, but before I do, let me show you that Jesus was born for the purpose of death, and myrrh is associated with some of that. So just seven things. Number one, the Old Testament foretold that the Messiah would have to die a sacrificial death. We spent five weeks a few months ago studying a chapter of the Bible, Isaiah 52, the second half, and, and Isaiah 53. And we learned one thing for sure, that whoever the Messiah would be would be born to die. It, it says it this way, he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, he was punished. And it says it multiple times, that this one person who will be the Messiah will die, and he will die for other people's sin. So it's a very common theme. In fact, let me take it back even further. Do you know that before the world was created, this was the plan? The book of the Revelation says, all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, that's the Antichrist, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So it was always God's plan, the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, it was always the plan that Jesus would be born to die a sacrificial death. Secondly, the name that Joseph was to give to his son. Now remember an angel appeared to Joseph and said, your, your fiance is going to have a baby. And she is pregnant to the Holy Spirit. And you are to give him the name Yeshua. In the Hebrew you can pronounce it Yehoshua. Uh, Oftentimes, as you know, people say Jesus because that's kind of the Greek word. But, but the word Yehoshua actually means God delivers or Savior. In other words, your son will be named God delivers. Ooh, that's probably not good news. Now, there were many people named Joshua or Yehoshua, Yeshua in that day. So maybe, maybe Joseph didn't think anything about it. But I'll tell you what else. Mary and Joseph had been warned that their son would pay for the sins of other people, that their, sin, their son would die for other people. Uh, Joseph was told by an angel, she will give birth to a son and you will, are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Bad news. The only way you can do that is to die. And if Joseph knew Isaiah 52 and 53, and I contend he did because the Bible says he was a just man, then he knew exactly what his son, his adopted son would do. Later, Mary took her baby to the temple one day, you know the story, and they met an older couple, Simeon and Anna. And Simeon said, this is what's gonna happen to your son and a sword will pierce your own soul too. 
Your son will die and it's gonna break your heart. So even though he was a baby, they knew what he was born to do. Number four, the word for myrrh in the Old Testament has become a, a symbol of death, even sacrificial death. Now, you probably wouldn't have any reason to know this. The word for myrrh, that we say in English, myrrh, in the Old Testament, in the, book, in the Hebrew language, is more. In fact, we just kind of transliterate it, more. Now, where does more come from? What does more mean aside from myrrh? Well, there's a word in the Old Testament that many of you know. It's Moriah, Moriah in Hebrew. Moriah can be translated multiple ways, but one way is the myrrh of Yahweh, the myrrh of Jehovah. Another way you could say it, the death of God. Mount Moriah. By the way, just so you know this, Mary's name is derived from the word more. Mary's name, Marah in Hebrew, or we often say Miriam, uh, that it's, it comes from the word more, uh, more or myrrh. It means to be bitter. Let me show you the Old Testament word Moriah. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there. You see, Moriah became the place of sacrifice. And of course, later Solomon built the temple on Moriah, and later Jesus died. He was sentenced to death and then died on Moriah, the death of God, the myrrh of Yahweh. In the New Testament, the Greek word, now Old Testament is written in Hebrew, most of you know, and in the New Testament is written in Greek, and the Greek word for myrrh is smyrna, or smorna is pronounced properly. So when it says that the wise men came and brought gold and frankincense, the third word is in Greek, smorna. Now, those of you who are Bible students, you suddenly go, ah, oh, that rings a bell to me. Smorna, or say, we say it, smyrna. That's a, that's a church in the book of the Revelation, one of those seven churches that Jesus spoke to. Right, it is. And which was that church? Let, let me tell you. To the angel, the word angel here means the messenger, maybe pastor. To the pastor of the church in Smyrna, these are the words of him who is first and last, who died and came to life again. Be faithful even to the point of death. Because this is the suffering church. And these people are going to die martyrs' death, what we might call sacrificial deaths. So myrrh still meant the same thing, Smyrna, sacrificial death. Number six, most of you know that a woman by the name of Mary, another woman with the same name that begins with more or myrrh, this is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. She came one time about 11 days before Jesus died and began to anoint his feet with a special perfume. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. And people complained, and Jesus said these words, which, boy, you don't want to miss. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. So it seems like everything Jesus did was headed to the cross, and it was. And then we get to the cross, and right after the cross, we meet two guys, a man by the name of Joseph and a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, both of them are part of the religious ruling party, and we would say right away, well, they're bad guys because the religious people rejected Jesus. Yes, all but these two. These two were secret followers. 
And what they did is they took myrrh and anointed Jesus' body after his death. I want to show you this because it's so interesting to read it. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night, also because he was afraid. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes about, make sure you see this, 75 pounds. Do you know how many bodies that would anoint? I mean, seriously, dozens maybe. But he bought 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes because he was going to make all of Jerusalem smell like death. If you're going to kill the Christ, I'm going to make everybody smell it. And so 75 pounds they poured on the body of Jesus, a reminder of his sacrificial death. So, how, do we, how would we make this practical? So, they, the Magi brought a gift because they saw the future. They saw what Jesus was born to do, to die. So, how do we make it practical? Number one, the best future gifts that we can give are just anything we share because we're Christians. Because the Bible says anything you give because you are a follower of Christ, those gifts go before you to heaven. Some of you, when you get to heaven, are not going to have any room in your house to move around because you've given so much. And there's so much in heaven already stored there for you. You have been incredible givers. Some of us might have to look hard for the things we sent ahead, right? Here's what the Bible says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because those treasures, huh, they will not ever be lost. Stolen, eaten, destroyed. Those kind of gifts will always remain. Number two, although you can't give gifts with the same kind of, we'll say, symbol or relevance that the Magi did, you can give gifts that create anticipation. And that's what, I, that's what I'm going to suggest to you. Think more clearly, cleverly, about how you can give gifts that create expectation. Now, first of all, no prophecies were written about any of us. So you can't go into the Bible and find what's going to happen to so-and-so and give him a gift for it. Only Jesus. But we can give gifts that have meaning but are waiting to be fulfilled. By the way, I'm just going to be honest with you. These were my least favorite gifts when I was a kid. Because my uncle would say, I bought us two gifts to a baseball game in May. And I'm like, May? I can't use that for the next five months. But there was an expectation. And I looked forward to that. Do you, do you realize that most of us will hit next Sunday morning and we'll open our gifts, tear open our gifts, and we'll maybe have breakfast and we'll go, oh, Christmas is over. And it's like we prepare so much and boom, it's over. But if we gave more gifts of expectation, something that would be fulfilled later, it, it would have more meaning. 
The apostle Paul would say things like, I'm eager to come to you in Rome. We've already studied that together just a few months ago. Or he told the people in Spain, I'm coming to you next. He always gave these gifts of expectation. You can look forward to this. It's going to happen. Number three, the big lesson I think we've learned from the Magi is just think carefully about your gifts. Many of us have gotten into the Christmas habit of, oh, no, it's Christmas. It's a few weeks away. I'm going to run out and shop in one day and get everything done. And I feel better that it's done. But do you feel good about what you got? The Magi, of course, they had hundreds of years to get ready. But they gave gifts that were so meaningful. Gold for a king, frankincense for a god, myrrh for a savior. As I said, we're going to continue the series next Sunday and even on January 1st. Okay, I'm going to invite our worship team up and I'll close with just a reminder of verse 4 of We Three Kings. It was written 165 years ago this month. 165 years ago by John Hopkins. He's the one that wrote it. And he wrote verse 4 like this. Myrrh is mine, it's bitter perfume. Breathes a life of gathering doom or gloom. Sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. So 165 years ago, this pastor who wrote this song that we still sing today knew exactly what myrrh was all about. It was a gift of expectation. And maybe the best gift you can give yourself is to worship this one who died for you that you may have life.